0: Incoming transmission from The Babylon Project. Welcome to The Babylon Project, our last Best Hope for Trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin. I'm here to help me along with my co-host, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? It feels like that question gets more
1: and more complicated. Yeah. I never know how to answer that question. It feels simple, and it's never
2: as simple uh, as it should be. A person from the Craigslist came and took away our old couch that had just been like malingering green in their utility room today so that's exciting
0: gosh you're that is that is living the the dream that is like the thing that i'm like god that's what being old is like isn't it fuck you justin
1: (laughs) burn oh i was i mean mine is so much worse my i had a good day because nothing hurts like that's my day that's where i'm at now nothing hurts today None, none of my various uh, joints or or nervous system maladies acted up. That's where I'm at now. Uh, yeah, I'm fine, I guess. I don't know. I hate three-day weekends. I, what does time even mean in the age of COVID? And then you throw a three-day weekend at me? I It, it feels unfair. I don't understand time under the best of circumstances. And you take away my five-day... Two day structure, and I'm just lost. So I spent most of the day confused and uh, writing epics. So it's a pretty, pretty boring day, frankly.
2: Well, I, I had to go to the doctor's office because um, the, the lab. So I, I went to the doctor's office a couple of weeks ago and got blood drawn for a variety of, you know, regular blood work type stuff. And the lab apparently lost one of my blood tubes. Lost? Yes.
0: That's the vampire tax right there.
2: <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure.
1: You don't have any necromancer enemies, do you?
2: I don't think so. I don't think so. But I had, to, dra- I'm just I that had if, to drag saying that I drag myself to the doctor's
1: office.
0: I don't know. Jude. are you an enemy?
2: <laughs> at least the no. um at least the phlebotomist at the doctor's office is absolutely stellar and um this is like the second time in a row that she's managed to hit the vein in my tattooed arm first try. That's pretty good. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. You are wonderful.
1: If it were me, I would just feel uncomfortable with the fact that there's a vial of your blood somewhere and a uh, a blood magician of any caliber could use <laughs> it against you. I'm just saying you should be more careful with that.
0: This is how I know we are at like, a divide right now is that like. You guys can have, like, a conversation for minutes about, like, a random doctor thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be that kind of an episode, I think. I'm like, wow, you know, all all I did this weekend was I sort of kind of went on a date and, like, bought magic cards. I watched a wrestling pay-per-view. Let's move on. Let's talk about a TV show. Maybe Babylon 5. I don't know. We'll see if it sticks. Yeah, I've got a question for you, too. All right. Um, Which of the ten Zathras are you? Or Zathrai? I'm I'm leaving that up to you which plural you want to use. Which of the ten Zathrai are you, and what is your specialization?
1: I believe I am Zathras, and my specialization is uh, biology.
2: I, I think that I'm, I think, I, I'm just Zathras. I think I'm the one who has to like sweep all of the cobwebs off of the like really high-up machine bits. Uh. It involves a jetpack,
1: <laughs> but not a good one. Yeah, yeah. No, I
0: get you. Okay, that tracks. That's
1: a good. Excellent. That's a good
0: I, was like, I was like, I need a, I need a question for this week's episode, and then it just like clicked immediately when I got to uh, the Zathras yep. special, specialization in crisis management. <laughs> Yes. Tonight we are covering uh, two episodes, um, episodes 11 and 12 of season 4, which are lines of communication and conflicts of interest. Anna, you have lines of communication. Take us away.
2: Alrighty. So we're starting, at, so I'll, I'll note first here that um, this is of course written by JMS because we're... In season four, and everything's written by JMS still, and directed by John C. Flynn III, who has directed a lot of this show. Yeah. So we start the episode with a reminder of the propaganda campaign against the station from Earth, as John is watching Fox News and getting angry at it, as one does. Ivanova reminds him that he's just worrying himself up uh, and yelling at the television like an old man, and announces that they have a signal from tonight's first plot, Franklin and Marcus on Mars. We, we cut to Franklin recording the cryptic message. They're set to meet with the rest of the Resistance on Mars, but things aren't going great there overall. Uh, number one, the head of the Mars Resistance, estimates that without a major change, Earth will take back all of Mars within a year. Yay. Yay. This musing is cut short by an interruption. Another resistance faction has bombed Franklis- Franklin and Marcus's hotel, uh, leaving 10 civilians dead and presumably all of their luggage destroyed. Number one is Furious. Uh, this and other bombings have been staged by a, uh, the resistance faction from Earth who don't understand the long term politics here on Mars. She reminds the bomber that she's in charge of operations here on Mars, and there will be dire consequences if he forgets that again. At the meeting of the resistance leaders, Franklin speaks for Sheridan and the station. Sheridan is offering an alliance and will support the resistance actively if they agree to overthrow Clark, but not EarthGov overall. Additionally, if the resistance follows orders from the station, no matter how strange, Mars will have full independence once everything shakes out he appends a final order. No more bombing against civilian targets since they do more harm than good. The appeal is successful, and number one congratulates Franklin afterward, noting that Franklin's third point is absolute bullshit because there's no way Sheridan could have known about the bombings, but she appreciates Franklin's help. He might be a liar, but he's her kind of liar. She appreciates it so much, in fact, that she (laughs) invites him out on a date since his hotel was just destroyed. Marcus, meanwhile... Gets guard duty. The (laughs) final scene of the episode is Marcus playing with his expanding fighting pike. Excuse me?
1: (laughs) Is that what we're calling it these days? (laughs)
2: Yeah. That's what it's called, man.
0: I mean, I'm sure that (laughs) like listening to... He's
2: playing with his expanding stick thing. Well, number one moans, oh, Steven on the other side of the... Door, wall, partition. Yeah, it's you're rephrasing. What did not
1: make that better? <laughs> sketchy that he can hear that because it begs the question:
0: Where is Marcus that he can overhear this?
1: Oh it's, god, damn it! Watch, fuck off.
0: He's just like in the main room where he's where they film ninety percent of the Mar scenes. Yeah, but it, like, is he up against the wall? Like, I, this I, is it, why I said partition. It very
2: much,
1: yeah, it's very very weird.
2: As I'm imagining that they're behind like a rice paper partition thing or maybe a curtain, yeah. maybe a yeah. beaded curtain.
1: While he plays with his. Do you think that Steven is like, <laughs> Can he, he He can hear the pike <laughs> and he's oh, like absolutely. setting his pace to to the pike? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he absolutely can hear that pike. It makes such a distinctive sound. Uh. shoot
1: I think we broke uh, f- Fan fiction writers out there, please like... send us your your samples of this scene. Uh, yes, I would love, please do. I would love to read what you've written about this
0: scene. Uh, we cannot be the only ones fascinated by it. It is eighty six right now. <laughs> I am so brain dead, and this is just making it worse. And I love it. All right, um, there's a B plot in this episode.
2: Yeah, there. There. Well, there's a couple of plots here. um so our, our second plot of the night is back on the station. After Sheridan spends more time hate-watching the news, he has an idea. He promptly proceeds to head to Ivanova's quarters, where he wakes her up because it's like three o'clock in the fucking morning. Um, she is less than thrilled. And the, the idea is this. During the war, Ivanova was the voice of B-5, making announcements about evacuations, attacks, aid, and other useful stuff. Sheridan wants her to do the same thing again and be the voice of their resistance. She'll broadcast actually factual information about B5, Clark, etc. from the CPK podcasting table. Ivanva agrees, although she uh, definitely does not understand why John had to wake her up in the middle of the damn night for this.
1: Clearly, she has never slid into anyone's DMs at one in the morning with a stupid podcast idea because they have a dumb name for a podcast. (laughs) Justin, although technically it was my mentions not my dms but the the point stands
0: yeah if you search babylon project people you can find in january of 2020 (laughs) the first instance of the babylon project being used on the internet please don't look it up that don't look up my mentions that long ago
2: so the third plot here is the reason that i'm the one writing this summary who's ready for mimbari bullshit in the wake of a number of recent attacks against the League worlds and species previously, pr- previously protected by the Mimbari, Delenn heads out in a White Star fleet with Forel, the Mimbari who brought news of the attacks. After a search through hyperspace, they find a distress signal from a Pakmara ship and arrive to find a fleet of unidentified ships. Dylan is determined to not fuck up this first contact and opens up a channel uh, and sends Interlac language information to the other species. She is shocked when they reply, in Minbari. Clearly, they have had previous contact with Minbari in order to have their language information. The new aliens introduce themselves as the Drok. Pharrell explains that he had reached out to the Drak for support in the wake of unrest back on Minbar. The warrior caste has gone rogue, driving members of other castes from their cities and indirectly causing the deaths of many other Minbari. The religious caste need more power to stand up to them in the looming civil war, and the Drak are eager for an alliance as they have just lost their homeworld. Delenn agrees to think on their proposal. And the spokesperson leaves, but Pharrell speaks Delenn's name just at the end of the dialogue to the Drak emissary's clear recognition. Once the Drak is gone, Delenn explains to Pharrell what she, Lanier, and the entire fucking audience have figured out. The Drak were allies to the Shadows and lost their home when Zahadum self-destructed. They are all now in grave danger, as the Drak will want to take revenge on Delenn personally at this point. Lanier pulls off some algorithmic fancy flying, and they all escape to hyperspace, uh, albeit with the destruction of White Star 16. Pharrell himself was also mortally wounded during the battle, but begs Delenn's forgiveness. Rather than heading straight back to B5, Delenn goes on the offensive and destroys the Drak fighters and mothership first. On her return to the station, Delenn explains the situation to Sheridan and says she needs to spend some time on Minbar since she hadn't realized things had gotten so bad there. She needs to try to prevent the civil war and reform the Grey Council. Sheridan is less than pleased, but Delenn reminds him that he has his own shit to focus on right now with Earth, uh, and he needs to also perhaps spend some time reflecting on the things that have changed in his life recently, like dying and being resurrected. She thinks that he'll be more effective at both of these tasks if she is not around. The two agree to dinner before Delenn departs.
1: I have so much <laughs> to say about this banana pants episode.
0: So the first thing I want to talk about, because this is like important for me, mm-hmm. is I want to know every single faction there is in like the resistance movement on Mars. Where are my neo-communist boys at? <laughs> <laughs> I would legitimately, like,
1: read a book or a comic series about, like, the Mars Resistance. Because it gets so much name drop in the course of the show that, like, there has to be a history there.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm interested in the Mars... I guess the Mars stuff is actually the part of this episode I'm the least interested in. The Minbari stuff and fucking... Sheridan, podcast producer dad, are the parts of this episode that I'm really interested in.
0: Like, the Marsh stuff is like, it happens. It's fine. It's fun. Shink, 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 shink. Franklin, like, <laughs> it's very cute that, like, Marcus is pushing Franklin of like, she's into you. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. I bet you 50 credits that she's got some real stuff she wants to show you around. Marcus is a real good wingman.
2: And I, I love that Marcus is so into wingmaning this shit up until the point where they're apparently fucking like 10 feet from him.
1: They're yeah. He here has there. not thought about the thought through the consequences of that decision.
2: And he's just like, just sitting there, stony face.
0: <laughs> he's just like, oh, well, sucks. Maybe he thought he was going to get an invitation to join. I like that like in half of the notes that I have for this episode, it's literally me and Anna just thinking the same things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I so one thing you left out of your notes. So I want to move on to the
1: Minbari thing. Are okay. we done with Mars? Are we are we done? There's literally okay. nothing to say else to say about Mars except it's gross that Franklin is getting laid, but apparently it's good for him.
2: Well I'll say I'll say that number one is definitely wearing Lita's coat.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Um, oh yeah.
0: And, and like looks
2: better also it
1: than Lita does. Nothing against yeah. lead up but...
0: Yeah, also, like, saying. number one is, like, really hot when she's angry, and I'm gonna go to Hardy Jail now. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'll she... second that. I'll second that, absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And she also has, like, peak 90s hair, but, like, in a good way, somehow. It works yeah. for her.
0: She, she has killer bangs. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: With the, like, bangs and the, like, where it's all, like, fluffed up, and it's got the, like, roots and, like, highlights and it it works for her. It shouldn't, but it does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I have two points I want to make about the Minbari thing. First, you left out one one thing I think is important to note about the mm-hmm. uh Pharrell, Yes. Which is that in order to get Delenn to meet with the Drak, uh he pulls a gun on her. Oh, and yeah. And it's like, "Oh, by the way, I set this up. You have to come meet them now." Which it leads into my first point which is that it's buckwild to me that the minbari who have been frozen in place culturally for like a thousand years needed like a week and a half for their entire society to unravel like a badly made sweater the second the shadows were gone oh yeah <laughs> it took nothing it took nothing for them to just be like Puh. and now they're now it's just a fucking shit show over there
2: it started with the it started with the end of the human minbari war though. I mean yes,
1: if you want to poke holes in my very funny th- theory <laughs> and, sh- and and sweater analogy, then yes, fine. It's been fraying for a bit. but it was yeah. like it really hit the skids Ooh. when when the shadows departed. But I actually find it oddly reassuring that the minbari within their wheelhouse, within their like cultural treads, are super intimidating. They are like supernaturally good at everything, like socially and militarily. But the second they step out of that, they're fucking goobers. Like yeah. Pharrell is goddamn incompetent at at like everything, and like yeah. Delenn can't. D- Delenn is like a, an absolute. Is like she can barely comb her hair without help from a human. And, and
2: and she and and Pharrell can't even like look at these fuckers who are the definition of cartoonishly evil looking.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. and it's just like flends. Yeah, I love that the the Minbari like the second they don't have a ritual for something, it's like asking a cartoon computer to divide by zero. It's just like eh, does not compute.
0: Do not know how to process. Once they stopped having stuff that Valen told them to expect, they just became like a kindergartner class with no teacher.
1: Yeah. And I think that's charming. I think that's great that it turns out that the Minbaria are as fucking dumb as the rest of everybody on this show. (laughs) They just had really good cue cards up until this point. Yeah, yeah. They ran out of cue cards and now it's, no, it's every fucking weirdo for themselves out there. And it's the weirdos with the
2: guns who are taking power.
1: Yeah. Um, I also have a note from Lurker's Guide here that is the maybe the most meta B5 note I've ever seen. According to Lurker's Guide, the real reason the Drock shimmered, according to special effects technician Ben Busick, or Ken Busick, was that the costume didn't look convincing enough. <laughs> So to give the Drak an otherworldly appearance, the scene was digitally manipulated in post-production.
2: It's a really effective effect
1: though, it, I think. It yeah. is. Yeah. But I love that they're like, this looks like shit. Let's make it blurry. And <laughs> yeah. everybody'll think we meant it. Is the most beef like is such a B5, like fuck it, we'll fix it in post-production thing. <laughs> I love it. It's just brilliant. And the fact that it works is like it's it's what speaks to like yeah. the B5 ethos of like po- they they polish like 85 90% of the turds that their low budget churns out. And it's really like a a compliment. I'm not trying to be shitty about it. Like it's an enormous compliment to the production staff of this show that they take the limited budget and inconsistent production of, of, of a a networked sci-fi show in the 90s and make something that works as often as it does. And this is a great example of that where they're like, whoops, this costume looks like butts. Yeah, we'll just blur it. And bam, yeah. it works.
2: And what's wild is that I think that they came up with something that I think that the Drak are one of the pieces of uh, special effects that hold up the best to yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, such a f- it's it's such It's such yeah. a simple effect. And also... I I would be really challenged to think of any other sci-fi monster that has had that effect. It's super unique in my memory.
1: Yeah, it's very distinctive for sure.
0: I like it. I I think one of the things that the thing that it reminds me of, honestly, is um, if you've ever watched any of the CWDC shows, it reminds me of like the, a similar effect they use for like any of, like, the speedster supervillains. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the reverse flash or zoom. And it works because it doesn't get overused. Um, yeah. And it just looks creepy. And it's great. That's fine. It's really effective. Yeah, it's like, it does not overstay its welcome in this episode. I'm sure we'll see the Drock again. They're our new Power Ranger Villain of the Week. <laughs> I also do like that, like, the entire, like, Vidbari strategy for their fight is, like, we're just gonna Death Star trench run this shit. Yep.
2: Oh uh, yeah, and <laughs> and Lanier's a fucking genius, right? Because he was able to program that in to the computer like so rapidly.
1: We've previously established, though, that Lanier is a mathematical savant.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, right. I love
1: that. I love I, that like that canonically
2: they- it's established.
1: Yeah, back in the, 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 like what, season one?
2: Yeah, when he was going when he was out playing to drinks cards. with Londo. Yeah,
1: when he's out to drinks with Londo and he's telling Londo about how he's, he's super good at math and can hold all these, these numbers in his head. I love that, that callback to the, uh, the space,
0: the alien dicks episode. Mm, good memories. I have a question. This should be fun. So I have a question about the White Star Fleet. Mm hmm. When a white because they do not name the white stars, when white when a white star is destroyed, does that number just get reassigned? Um, to like, does every white star move down a number, or is it just the next one they make that gets reassigned that number, or do they leave these numbers vacant? I think probably. Good I so one. I think, yes, I think I it's think the last one. I think any of those options are hilarious. I yeah. think it's
1: the last one. I think they just leave it like, vacant. That seems rangery to me. Two, I think it's super dumb that they don't... I think it is both super dumb and con- and like hard to believe that they don't name these ships. Because nobody loves dumb names for everything as much as the Minbari and humans do. Like, <laughs> humans will give everything a fucking acronym for lack of anything else to call it. And the Minbari have over-dramatic names for everything. So there's no way. Yes, it might be White Star 16, but you know that the crew of White Star 16 call it like, I don't know, like Tiger Tail or fucking, you know, the rampant schnooshneck or whatever, some Minbari animal. I don't know. You know that all of the ships have a name and the only person who calls them by their number is fucking Delenn because she's, she's like too cool like nobody will actually use the official like the names everybody else uses around her so she's just like white star 16 and like off in the corner one's like which one is 16 that's the schnooshnack. oh right fuck <laughs> my that's my that's my head cannon
2: i could also i could also see on a more serious note on that i could also see that i being like, completely
1: serious <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i i could definitely see them having like nicknames for the ships I think there's also meant to be a certain amount of interchangeability between the white stars and the white star fleet, where like a group of Rangers or whatever would just be able to like hop on a random white star and like not feel like a ton of attachment to like that specific ship because it's just a white star.
0: The zip star. Yeah, which which as we which as we've determined throughout Babylon Five, the more white stars you have, the easier they blow up. <laughs> It does seem to be the case. They, they are the ship variant of the inverse ninja ninja law.
1: Yeah. yeah. One one white star, invincible.
0: Ten white stars, TIE fighters.
2: Pretty much, yeah.
0: I do love how, like, DeLed leaves, and it is literally the beam of, well, Delud left, and she's all of my self, she's, like, all of my impulse control. Yeah. So I'm going to start a podcast network. Yeah. And it's like three days. Yeah, what is
1: <laughs> it's he's he 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 becomes the meme of like every white guy with nothing better to do with his free time. He starts a podcast.
0: But uh what should we call it, The I I do like the entirety of the bit of just like John seeing a problem, developing a solution to it like in the middle of the night, waking up Ivanova, who is just like, You woke me up for this shit. <laughs> Yeah. I've been here before, John. Yeah. I you can tell <laughs> Yeah, I got dressed for this. Yeah, I can't believe that they don't it's have It's the like, most relatable mood?
1: Yeah. You can tell it's a it's a show that predates really predates the internet because there's no like he can't send her an email. He can't fucking like slack her about this. You know what I mean? Like he's got to go knock on her door to 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 bother her about starting a podcast like that's the most bananas bit in this entire episode honestly it's more preposterous than franklin getting laid
2: i think one of my favorite bits from that particular plot though is that like i think that the ivanova sheridan shippers had been bothering jms so much at this point that like i think that that whole thing was was constructed in order to have Ivanova say I have no interest in you. You have no interest in me.
1: That would be funny if true that it's JMS specifically saying fuck you to to the to their shippers. That's a thing JMS would do, I bet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cuz
2: it's it's like being absolutely explicit in canon that like because I think at that point, there were a bunch of people being like, oh, Ivanova is secretly pining for Sheridan. That's going to be the next plot arc is a love triangle. And JMS being like, y'all are no. like the worst.
0: Yeah. I, I do love how it's just like, we, we it's just canon that like, Ivanova dresses, like, dresses her best for, for best. Which I think it like, makes sense because it is the one time where she gets to choose what she, she wears really. Mm-hmm. Well, and if
1: you got interrupted as much at bedtime as Ivanova did, you'd want to look your best, too. Like, I think it's pretty canon in this show that Ivanova spends, I mean, like 30% of her nights getting woken up. So she might as well look great.
2: Yeah, because she was like, can't I just sleep through one night? Yeah. I really appreciate Franklin getting, getting some action with somebody who's not a patient of his. I think it's. I think it's very yeah. good.
1: Yeah, I, I do appreciate that for once. Franklin is involved in a relationship where he is demonstrably on the other end of a that power of a power dynamic there. Yeah, where she could easily kill him and have no consequences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I think it's. I think it's like it's a it's a healthy relationship. Like Franklin gets like a lot to do in this episode, and it's good.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've got some good. Now that he's actually been being given plot as opposed to B plot, mm. he's getting he's getting some good screen time. I also really like the guitar riff as Lanier <laughs> blows that drop <drunk laughs> mothership out of the sky. Yeah. Um it really amuses me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So one one of my last notes here is is it just me? Or does Pharrell, like, somehow look like Dr. Frankenfurter? I think this is just me.
0: It's just a little weird. Like, there's, there's like, an uncanny valley of, like, you recognize him from somewhere, but as somebody who is, like, who, who did look him up, he's, like, not from anything. He literally has, like, seven credits.
2: Yeah, it's the, like, deep-set eyes thing, or, like, whatever they've done with his, like, makeup for the eyes. And then the face shape, like every mm-hmm. time I see him, I'm like, "Is that Tim Curry? No, it's not. That would be crazy."
1: Okay, uh, Twitter poll that I would like to put on the Bab Pod Twitter account, Justin. Uh, which, yes. which nineties f- star that was never on Babylon Five do you wish had been on Babylon Five? Tim Curry. I certainly tim I'm Tim Curry. Tim Curry would be an option, but I'm curious what people would would say.
0: I don't know what, what... You you would have to give me a list of options.
1: Uh, for, Calista like, Flockhart, choosing. Tim Curry. Uh, <laughs> let's get two more. Uh, who else was real big in the 90s? Ricky Martin.
0: Oh, God, Vito. <laughs> Jared
1: um, Leto. Yes, put Jared Leto on there.
0: No, I, I absolutely vote Vito and Jared Leto. Right, right. um, who else do we put on there? <laughs> uh. Anyways... I am I have I am using because we haven't done this in a while, I am reserving my right to to invoke the hey I know that face because we don't know this dude's face. <laughs> the, the dude who played Pharrell, his name is GW Stevens. He has eight acting credits on IMDB. One of those is an X-Files episode where he is second British crew member. And his last <laughs> acting credit was a was a movie called Band of Pirates. Buccaneer Island, which honestly I haven't watched the trailer for, but it looks like a low-budget skin flick. <laughs> well, you take the work you can get. I'm just choosing to not watch it, and I'm, I'm like, my imagination is better than anything that, like, I'll actually watch. That's valid. We got anything else we want to talk about for this episode? I have
2: one last thing that's a, a huh. real thing, I swear. So, DeleN has that, yeah. that line about how like, you know, Humans are dangerous before they because they form communities and etc. Which like it's one of those lines that like sounds good, but then if you think about it for like ten seconds, you're like, "What the fuck? That makes no sense."
0: Yeah, yeah, it does not. Like it doesn't it, hold up. There's yeah. a lot of
2: because l- Mimbari form communities.
0: The
1: Min- every species forms communities. Yeah, the purple and the green are communities. Like. What's your fucking point, Delenn? The
0: thing you could draw from that is that, like, humans form very tight-knit communities, like, on whims. As a species, like, culturally, as a species, we anthropomorphize and bond onto things even if we shouldn't. (laughs) But yeah, like, Delenn's last speech really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In this episode... In, like, a vacuum... Yeah. It's sort of just like, we're it's sort of like Jamma's like, I need to push these two apart for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to, I need to like find a reason for it. They, yeah. they
2: each need to go like do their own shit.
1: There's been a lot of sort of hand wavy writing in these last couple of episodes. There's been. Yeah. I'm just going to leave we're, it at we're, that.
2: We're past the halfway point on the season, right? Mm hmm. Or we're, we're at about the halfway point. He's just.
1: Yeah, no, this is the halfway point. He's done the bump of cocaine and he's waiting for it to kick in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, are we ready for conflict of interest? Sure. All right. Uh, I have been scolded that my summaries are less summaries than long-winded diatribes with copious, some might say excessive snark. So for this summary, I'm going to actually dial it back a very small amount, but I will not apologize uh, because that's not what I do. Uh, but I have, in fact, dialed it back very slightly out of respect for my co-host, because just because I don't apologize doesn't mean that I do not respect the people that I create content with. <laughs> but I'm still a monster, and uh, I refuse. I reserve, I reserve the right to uh, remain a monster.
0: I look forward to a summary that is actually shorter than the real episode.
1: Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Don't get your hopes up.
0: No, this is shorter
1: than the real episode. But it's better than the episode, because it's a pretty shitty episode. We open with Garibaldi trying to seal the deal on a Tinder date, when one of his clients barges in and salts his game. Garibaldi pretends he's another client and tells him he'll call, wink, wink, before he can, but before he can get a word in, the new client rails on him. Three weeks he's been waiting for word about his daughter, much to the client's surprise, and ours, frankly. As soon as he can get a word in edgewise, Garibaldi produces said daughter like a magician pulling a quarter from your ear. The man is completely incredulous, even more so when Garibaldi hands him the bill, which is only one-third of what he was expecting. Honestly, so are we. Kind, of, kind Garibaldi is not an experience we are prepared for, nor frankly a welcome one. In the background, his recruiters against Sheridan watch the exchange and plot nefariously. They don't actively do the villain finger-twiddle and laugh, but I mean, it's right there. It's just shy of being textual in the scene. Elsewhere, new security chief Zach Allen arrives in Sheridan's office to find him lurking dramatically in the dark, as I guess is his thing now, uh, and gives Zach an unpleasant task, relieving Garibaldi of his link, weapon, and security codes, which he has neglected to turn over since quitting as security chief. That seems like a gap in procedure, but we're going to let it go. Alan seems totes thrilled to be handed this this task, but he acquiesces after some minor complaints. He tracks Garibaldi down at his customary table and kills his buzz after having a good day of returning the guy's daughter and asks him about the items. Garibaldi is happy to relinqu- relinquish the identicard and the link, but tries to smarm his way out of giving up the gun. Alan, honestly with a great deal more spine than I typically attribute to him, insists on both the main and the backup piece being returned, and Butthead Garibaldi is back, giving him a real dirty guilt trip about it. Back in his quarters, Garibaldi settles in to watch Daffy Duck and eat spaghetti, which is basically what I did when I was nine, so I guess that makes sense, it would entertain him, when he is rudely interrupted by the aforementioned nefarious chaps, who have a mission for him. Someone is coming to B-5. He or she has meetings, and they want to get in, have the meeting, and get out without any record of them being there. Also said meeting is likely to get rough. This seems like a setup for a very sketchy date, but it's a business meeting, apparently. The whole thing sounds very legit, very up and up. Salty about being deprived of his guns. He had no business keeping in the first place. The petulant Garibaldi agrees. He leads Wade, our villain through some back tunnels to avoid detection until they reach a side door into the arrivals area, whereupon he produces a copy of the identicard he turned over to Zack, because for all his bullshit guilt trip to Zack, he's an untrustworthy ass wagon and really didn't have a moral high ground to stand on. They enter, and Wade points out their contact, Garibaldi's ex-Lise, who is apparently now married to Wade's boss. Back in Garibaldi's quarters, we find Garibaldi scolding a woman who owes him absolutely no explanations for the simple fact that she exists in a space he exists in and has offended him by existing on terms he didn't like. In the course of his diatribe, we learn that she is now married not to the man she was married to last time we met her, but to William Edgars, the richest man on Mars. Garibaldi decides he's had enough of this conversation and cuts it off just in time for Wade to arrive to take them to the meeting. While they are en route, Allen, in the security office, does a routine security report and discovers that Garibaldi bullshitted him and does still, in fact, have his security creds. He promptly cancels them. Good man, Zach. In the meeting, in the same down-below bar where every slightly dodgy deal in Babylon 5 is done, it transpires that Lise is there to take possession of what amounts to biotech research to make a telepath plague. Unsurprisingly... Within seconds, Garibaldi spots sketchy types, and the shots start flying. Their contact is killed, and they retreat into a back tunnel. He tries the door, but discovers his credentials have been canceled. He leads Wade and Lees up into the vents, where they narrowly escape the standard shoot-the-vents maneuver, during which somehow Garibaldi figures out that their assailants are telepaths? It's not entirely clear. He gets everyone to think of Docking Bay 3, then leads them elsewhere. He sends Leeson Wade to get fake IDs, then circles back to Docking Bay 3, picking up Alan and security along the way. When they corner the telepath, they say, to the future, and then crunch down on cyanide. As a side note, it seems like they'd have more sophisticated ways to self-suicide. Self-suicide is a redundant phrase, I'm realizing now. To commit suicide, then cyanide, but whatever. Hey, it's effective. Later, Sheridan takes Garibaldi to task about the chaos and says that if he makes any more messes, he's done on B-5. Back in his quarters, Garibaldi finds a message from Lise Hampton and deletes it unceremoniously, like a tantruming child, but he does not delete the message he gets the next morning from her husband, who offers him a message after his successful mission. It would mean going back to Mars, but after Sheridan's threats, there's no reason not to. He accepts. In our B-plot... Very small B-plot. Franklin enters the former War Room, now the CPK podcasting station, to find it transformed into the voice of the Resistance and struts his way over to Ivanova. I shit you not, he struts. It's real gross. Don't watch. Just cover the TV. Uh, He is covered in glory at his successful Mars mission. And in yet another blow to our sensibilities, he covers himself in glory again, By solving Ivanova's problem, she complains about not having enough power to broadcast the voice of the Resistance's signal all the way to Earth. Franklin, very sensibly, suggests why don't they just use the power from Epsilon-3? Ivanova is as disgusted as we are that Franklin (laughs) has solved her problem for her and promptly leaves to go down to Epsilon-3 and and find a solution. On Epsilon-3, Ivanova is met by... Zathras? If you're confused, so is Ivanova. She asks Zathrus how the hell he's here when he went back in time. And then the muse Zathrus says that was Zathras. He's Zathrus. As, as if that explains fuck all. But that it's okay to be confused. There's 10 Zathrases. Zathri. Whatever. Uh, that's not at all a satisfying explanation. Uh, but she lets it slide and asks for help. And he immediately understands she needs power. They go get it set up, and then he complains like a Zathris. She <laughs> returns and hooks the power, up t- the power transfer up and proceeds to begin broadcasting as the voice of the Resistance all the way back to Earth. The truth is back in business, as they say. And that's it. I mean, there was a single fun scene with, I mean, barely a scene with Jakar and Londo talking about some stuff, but we can talk about that in the analysis. Well, did I satisfy you
2: that was nicely done
1: thank
0: you that is acceptable
1: this episode I kind of hate this episode I hate I hate Garibaldi so much in this episode so, yeah so much in this episode there is not one minute of Garibaldi I don't hate in this episode even when he's doing like a good thing at the beginning. He He can't help but be a piece of shit about it. Yeah, he can't help but be a piece of shit about it. Because he could have texted that dude and
2: been like, your daughter is alive. And he would have still been able to see the happy reunion and everything. Yeah, he,
1: he tortures this guy for his own moment of joy. He literally does it specifically so that he can enjoy this moment. Like this guy's a fucking television program. I'm surprised he doesn't have his phone out doing it all for TikTok. And it only gets worse from there. The entire scene where he drags Lise back to his quarters to yell at her for, like, unclear slash not being who he wanted her to be, like, as a person existing in the world, is such a fucking aggravating scene. And you just, you just hate Garibaldi so much in that scene. I can't even with him. I, they are... And what's really disappointing about this episode is that I don't think you were supposed to hate him in this episode.
0: No, you're supposed to be thinking like, oh, he's somebody who's being like pushed out and he's reasonably angry. And like, you're supposed to realize that something's up with him and that he's maybe not to be trusted. And, and but, yeah. but it's like, you're not supposed to think he's like an utter piece of shit.
1: Yeah, but yeah, his every interaction with Lise is super gross Yeah. And the, the
2: only interaction with lease that i like is i so you called out the thing where he like deletes her message unlistened to i actually didn't mind that that i feel like you know in a at least in a emotionally healthier character that would be like a decent thing of like okay no like it's over
1: you know yeah but he's not, done he's not deleting it because it's over He's deleting it because he's trying to maintain the last word. He's tantruming. I yeah. mean, I, I take your point. I absolutely 100% agree with you that in in an emotionally mature character, as you said, not, choosing not to engage in in a behavior that's unhealthy or stepping out of a relationship that you recognize as not not being good for you is is good. But that's not what Garibaldi's doing. Right. It's a tantrum. You also raised a point, Justin, um, that I want to talk about the Daffy Duck thing. Real briefly, because what we are analyzing Garibaldi's weird fucking character. (laughs) Um, Yes. At some point, we have to sit down and like try and figure out what the fuck JMS is trying to say with Garibaldi and the fucking Looney Tunes. But I will tell you this, that specific Daffy Duck cartoon was chosen intentionally. JMS fought Warner Brothers for every second of it. Oh, my God. It wasn't chosen at random. It was, he wanted that specific Daffy Duck cartoon, that specific one, and that he fought Warner Brothers
0: for every second of it. I watched this episode literally less than three hours ago. I could not tell you which, what what cartoon, what, what scene it was.
2: I know it's one of the ones where it ends with um, Bugs saying, I'm a stinker.
0: Right, it's the, yeah, it's the one where it's breaking the fourth wall with like the like with, with uh, bugs is like the animator, which is just like, what are you trying to say here? This is so. Here is my theory on what this means for Garibaldi as a character. I think Garibaldi is that person who is way attached to children's cartoons from his childhood, and spends way too much of his life on like Twitter hashtags and subreddits, uh, talking about whatever. Whatever new adaptation.
2: Oh no! Uh, is he is he a his, brony?
0: I don't think he's a brony, but I think he's like he's definitely that person who like spends way too much time like he's the person who thinks that like canon should be applied to Lego Star Wars cartoons. Yeah, or the guy that yelled
1: <laughs> about the fact that the new He Man cartoon uh, is too woke. Yeah, no, I get you. <laughs>
0: like that—that's what I think it is. I'm really, I really
1: cannot fucking figure out what jms is trying to do like why specifically garibaldi's obsessed with daffy duck like that is such a an intentional character choice i
2: dare you to ask him in a tweet
0: oh fuck i can that's right he actually answers this garbage
2: yes this is actually a perfect thing that you could actually ask i
0: think it would be so funny if he's just like i don't know i just had a thing well, now I have. To. I think I, would, I think that'd be so funny for me. It's just like okay. I will. I will. I absolutely will do it. Stay tuned. Right. It. Stay tuned, listeners, right to find
2: out whether JMS out tweet. Jude's tweet.
0: <laughs> Bang out that tweet, buddy. Um. So, uh, what else? Was, I do love like the conspirator, like head honcho dude. Not because like he's a good character or anything. I just like his hair. He looks like a very like. <laughs> Frazzled and a uh, and like intense owl.
2: Yes, yes.
0: He's like he's like a low budget Peter Capaldi.
2: <laughs> that's it, yeah, that's very good. So meanwhile, my thing with Garibaldi is I feel like he should have been doing this whole PI thing a long time ago. Like even without the whole like brainwashing thing, like and like setting aside the thing where he's like, you know. Messages his client to like show up and you know, doesn't say what for, etc. Like, that's shitty, but he seems to be a lot happier doing this whole PI thing than he was being security chief.
1: No, here's a th- yes, I yes, he absolutely is happier being a PI, but this episode confirms, and here's where I this episode confirms that he is just as much a piece of shit as a PI as he was as a cop. The only difference is, as a cop, he loved abusing his authority, and as a PI, he's a bitter shithead. And <laughs> yeah. there's no winning with him. The thing about the, the thing about Garibaldi, and that's something that I legitimately dislike about this episode, and not in, like, a funny ha-ha way, but in a way that, like, something I really don't like about this show at this point is that Garibaldi is not a fun character to watch at this point. Garibaldi has stopped being, like, fun to dunk on, for me. And maybe that's not true for you guys. But for me, Garibaldi has crossed... This is the episode for me... I don't know. Maybe it was this episode. Maybe it was in the last somewhere. But it I was, think it's
2: the confrontation with Sheridan.
1: That might yeah. be where, yeah. where it is. Where he
2: goes from, like... We kind of yeah. hate him, but he's been brainwashed to like. Oh no, he's just like gone few, full QAnon.
1: Yeah, he's no longer. It's no longer like even fun to dunk on him. He's just a fucking stupid character that I don't really want to get screen time. I would be perfectly content if he his shuttle got blown up halfway to Mars, and they had a a sad episode for him where everyone pretended that they still liked him, and that was the end of it. And the fact that I know that we're going to get more episodes about this bald butthole uh really bothers me. That's where I'm at. Yeah,
2: I, I definitely agree. I, I think this does go to show that you could have some of the some of the useful plot things that Garibaldi does in a it, it shows demonstrably that you can have that in somebody who's not the, the cop. Cause like, you know, yeah some of the like networking and stuff like that things can be on you know a PI type character or like we said a you a uh ambassador type character or like somebody you know in the underground with connections like
1: yeah i we've talked about the fact that if we remade this show we would not include the chief of security cuz it's it, it yeah it just there are a lot of better ways to do the thing do the stories they wanted to use Garibaldi to do in more interesting ways these days i yeah. you know you don't need you don't need the cop in this; it detracts from the show. I think so.
2: I appreciate that Franklin is just so much more chill now that he's gotten laid. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. I think not only has he—I hate that you guys are making me t- are are taking Franklin away from me—and I I absolutely <laughs> will find a way to punish you both for it. But yes, yes, fine. He's 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 perfectly unobjectionable in this fucking episode, he, except for the except for the saunter. I hate the way he fucking saunters into the CPK podcasting room. It's real bad.
2: The, the only thing I dislike about that is when he like sidles up to the like, you know, intern working at the comms panel or whatever. And it's like, you know what? I like Ivanova. It doesn't it seem me. like it sometimes, but I do.
1: Well, no, he's like, she. I like Ivanova. She scares me, but I like her. And it's like.
2: This was unnecessary. Why why did we get like Yeah. Why yeah. did we get frames for this that yeah. we could have had with Ivanova and the Zathrai?
1: Yeah. I yeah. He but yes, apparently all he needed to do was have some sex that did not leave him feeling gross and morally compromised afterwards. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> wow, you know. Who'd have thunk it? Oh, so
2: so I have a a thought on the Zathrai. So you okay. know how Zathrys okay. goes back in time. Yeah. What if what if Zathrus is not just a Zathrys, but in oh, fact no. <laughs> the progenitor of the of the Zathrai?
0: Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna summon my inner cat. Cool, right Wait, now. Wait, hold on. I hate this. <laughs> Are you saying that he's
1: the Valen of Zathrus? Why not? <laughs>
2: why Why not have Zathras go because uh, I think they live for a long time right the Zathras
0: this is so bad so why I not have this. him go
2: to Epsilon 3 and like clone himself into a generation of self-perpetuating generations of Zathrai
1: but that would mean he clo- this is like a long shot uh Shatterstar situation where he's his own
0: father uh-huh yeah yes i guess it's a stable closed loop oh i hate this i know i hate it too but actually like it it works but i hate it uh yeah no this is a rancid energy i love it but i do love tim choat he's great yes i I, just like a constant unhinged energy this uh i mean it's a little bit of a spoiler but not really um that this is tim Choate's last appearance as zathras Rip, I like you probably fine, but I'm just like, it is sad. Yep.
2: We'll just have to rewatch. I mean, we get so much good Zathras content in this one. We have Zathras is trained in crisis management.
1: Yeah. We yeah. have
2: Zathrus talks to dirt sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> because like dirt, Zathras is used to being stepped on.
0: <laughs> Don't I know it.
2: We have, and bugs, bugs are in the dirt sometimes. And just <laughs> likes bugs, not for conversation, but for protein, for the diet.
1: It's good. Yeah. He's great in that role. Yeah. Other things in this episode I wanted to call out. the There's a, it's not even a C plot. There's a single scene where Jakar and Londo agree to work with Sheridan, basically like, Allowing the white stars to police the border between their territories on the logic that if other, if the League of Non-Aligned Worlds sees it happening, they'll let the white stars patrol their borders. It's fine.
0: Sheridan is creating the Starfleet. That's really what he's doing. I mean, really what he's creating is the Coast Guard. (laughs) I mean. Which is the nerd, which is like, which is the true deep cut nerd favorite service branch. But really, he's just creating Starfleet here.
1: Mm. Interesting take. You don't
0: say. I mean, refer back to my refer back to my original theory uh, that we dropped from mm-hmm. uh, the first episode of the season mm-hmm. that he's just creating the Federation here, and I don't know if JMS is doing this on purpose, but he's just creating the Federation. Hmm.
1: Well, we'll just have to keep watching. Let's talk about this in a few episodes. I also would like to point out that this is the least interesting Lurker's Guide entry I've ever seen. It's so short. It says literally nothing except for the fact that they had he had to fight for that Daffy Duck entry. And uh yes, he actually does comment on the PPG thing that you mentioned in the in the episode notes, Justin.
0: So oh, um, PPGs, I'm sure there's. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's probably like, oh, it's it's sustained fire, like it's designed to be like, you know, it's designed not to be able to punch the gets. Well, it's it, not, it, it's, it's it
1: like melts on contact. So is what he says. So like shooting up into the vent, it melts the vent material, but then there's nothing left to fly through the hole. So you would have to like hit the same spot multiple times to shoot somebody through a vent. But that's why it doesn't pierce. Okay. That's why it doesn't pierce a hull cuz it it like to get through a door
0: they had to shoot it like a whole bajillion bunch of times. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I was just like <laughs> I I was just like as soon as I read it I'm like I know that somebody's going to well actually me on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it even with that, even
1: with the answer to that question, it remains a spectacularly lame Lurker's Guide entry which is appropriate for how fucking lame an episode this is. Uh The Garibaldi parts, at least, the Zathras parts are are very
0: good. Also, uh, William Edgar's like refers to his company, like his actual business as my organization. And nobody who ever refers to anything as my organization is doing anything that is above board. Yeah, I was going to say your organization, nothing called, nothing referred to as
1: my organization lacks a hit squad.
0: Yeah, um, also, like, um, hmm, who has a big beef against telepaths? And who has, like, a big problem with the way things, are, or who has a big hand in, like, the way things are being run on Earth? I couldn't guess. I wonder what could be going on here. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. 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 Yeah.
2: And meanwhile, and meanwhile, we've got Garibaldi, who has been, you know, uh, brainwashed by Psychor. Yeah. Oh, so... There there's there's one bit in this that always makes me like facepalm a little bit, which is like the the conversation between Zach and Sheridan, where Sheridan's like, Why have you not like collected his gun and badge? And, this is like a cop trope. Right, right. And yeah. and Zach is like, Well, because I thought he was gonna come back because he's my buddy. And Sheridan's like well that being said like you have to go fucking get them and zach's like oh i don't know boss i i don't think that's gonna go over very well and it's like okay zach the fact that you know that this is not going to go over well when it is literally routine procedure should be extremely telling to you like think about this for one second like perhaps the Perhaps the vibe you're getting where Garibaldi will not want to give up these items is why Garibaldi should not have these items.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Garibaldi, I hate the fact that Garibaldi uses such an intense guilt trip on Zach about giving up his guns and then immediately turns around and is like, ha ha, actually, I kept a copy of my identity card and I'm going to sneak around yeah. the station. It's so, and, and Zach's response to it is so perfect where he's like, you fucking piece of shit. Delete. Yeah. I don't care what you're doing yeah. with it right now.
2: Oh, uh, because that, and that's, that's great though, because he's like completely burned that relationship. Like Zach was like very close to being ride or die for Garibaldi here. And yeah. like yeah. Garibaldi went behind his back and now Zach's like, fuck you, Garibaldi.
1: Yeah yeah like, he's absolutely burned Zack on that,
2: yeah, which is a really impressive thing to be able to do,
1: yeah, I mean, God, yeah, how do you Zach's like a puppy dog? you really gotta work hard to like you know ruin that relationship, but Garibaldi manages it pretty pretty effectively,
0: yeah. Garibaldi has not found a bridge that he could not burn.
1: <laughs> that is the most succinct summary of his interpersonal relationships, especially in this episode, because he's literally burning every bridge in sight.
0: Um, Anna, as our as the creator of our wonderful show art, um, I would like I would like to ask your opinion: How bad is the pod is the album art for the voices of the Resistance? <laughs> oh, well, we've
2: already seen it right yeah no and exactly it's it it, it, so bad right exactly
0: that's well that's it's so bad
2: it's got like, like bonova's like, face like, in like one corner and it's the it's like uh it's basically borrowed from the like stay tuned thing and it's just like it's has clark with like a little x through it and it's ugh. so
0: funny
1: it's not. I would I, not highly rate it. No.
2: I could. I could see Corwin just sitting there and being like, "Graphics design is my passion."
1: <laughs> oh, oh, Corwin got his got oh. his AA
0: in Photoshop. Took an online class. He's got like his his minor at like whatever the Earth Force equivalent of West Point was was communications. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god,
1: that's really funny.
0: I don't have a lot that I'm like very like passionate about on this episode um, that we haven't already talked about. Yeah, I, I, we covered all the important stuff. This episode, as I said, this episode,
1: the Zathras bits are gold. Uh, Garibaldi fucking sucks, and not even in the fun ways anymore. And that's about. I mean, and that that really is the this that is the shortest version. Of the summary of this episode,
0: join us next time where, uh, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to our next one where Sheridan like moves on from like war crimes to like I don't know what he's doing. He's basically running like a full CIA psyop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's gonna be fun because it's it's truly it's truly batshit, and I love it. Uh, uh, yeah the next the next two episodes are both
1: pretty they're both a a distinct rebound off of this episode thing they're they're both much more fun so agreed
0: so um yeah speaking of those uh the next few episodes are rumors bargains and lies and moments of transition so until next time be seeing ya the babylon project is an independent production